Welcome to Advancing All Women with Sarah Alter, President and CEO of Next Up. On this show, you'll hear top executives and experts talk the most pressing topics of the moment for women in the workplace, including key issues that affect the advancement of women, creating better workplaces for women of color, DEI and B solutions, and more. Now, here's your host, Sarah Alter. So to frame our discussion for today, two quotes come to mind. Um, The first is, speak without thinking and your words can cut like a knife. And so for those of you who've heard this before, um, I I hadn't understood its, its origin, but I'm quoting from Proverbs in the Bible. The second is weigh your words carefully. And I'm quoting my mother. (laughs) So today we're going to be discussing the language of diversity. And to quote one of our guests, Greg DeShields, the liquidity of language. So let's take a look at some historical expressions that are clearly inappropriate now. So you should not be using these if you are. And then I'm actually going to end with a few words that used to be inappropriate or negative, and now they're positive. So basket case, the origin of this one, soldiers that were so injured they could fit in a basket. Long time no see, no can do. And that reflects uh, broken English. So either the Native Americans or Chinese, you know, back in history, um, you know, God bless them learning English. Most of us can only speak one language. Most of our are, are um, you know, those who have migrated into our country speak multiple languages. Um, gypped, I've been gypped. Um, that reflects back to the gypsies in Eastern Europe. Um, the ghetto, clearly it's a bigoted term. It's tossed around and it reflects to neighborhoods where low-class individuals live. And those who think they are low class, it's typically more low income. Uh, you think about the Jewish ghettos, right, during World War II. Rule of thumb. And this one we talked about um, in our prep session. One of our guests mentioned it. But it was a law, a rule that a man can beat his wife with a stick no wider than the width of his thumb. Grandfathered in, that referred back to how there were restrictions intentionally put in place to prevent um, Black individuals from voting. And you could, this was in the 1800s, and you could only vote if your grandfather had voted. Peanut gallery, and I got to say, I used to use this, but peanut gallery reflects the cheapest seats in the house, in the theater, and, and typically it was where the Black individuals sat. Hooligan, Brit slang for the Irish. I use this one too. I have to stop using it. And then the last one, this was so interesting to me, hysterical. This was a medical term that was developed by doctors and they used it as a sexist stereotype applying to women because women are naturally crazy. So if these are in your vocabulary, wipe them. So now here are some more positive terms that you can add back in and they used to be insults but now they're compliments, bad, badass, Um, pimped out. This is sick. This is wicked, gangster, the bomb, my favorite, funky, and then my all-time favorite because I am a geek, geek. So those you can add back in. So with all of this like historical context and shift in liquidity in, in perspective, you know, we can see that Greg is spot on with that term. There is liquidity of language and, and we as enlightened leaders need to continuously educate ourselves and our teams on what to say and what not to say. Because as I referenced above, words can cut like a knife. I am Sarah Alter your host of the Advancing All Women radio show and podcast, and proudly the CEO and president of Next Up. And our incredible guests today are Camille Galeb, Diversity and Inclusion Lead, Customer Solution Support and Innovation at SAP, 
Greg DeShields, Executive Director at Tourism Diversity Matters. And last but not least, Hannah Weinman, Social Responsibility Specialist at Altera Mountain Company. So welcome, everybody. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah. All right. Thank you. You, you are welcome. All righty. So um, let's kick it off with our typical question. Why are you here? Other than you kindly accepted my invitation, what is your personal and professional journey that brings you to what I know is going to be a really informative and insightful conversation for our audience? Um, hey, Greg, let's start with you. Well, Sarah, once again, thank you for the invitation and for all of your audience to next up. I'm thrilled to be here today. You know, diversity, equity, and inclusion has evolved over the last 20 to 30 years. And throughout my career, it's always had a bit of a thread that has run through in various forms. But I think over the last two, two and a half years, and certainly with the creation of Tourism Diversity Matters, I'm in a great position to do yeah. fantastic work, really emphasizing the strategic benefit of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And of course, during Women's History Month, I was really excited for the invitation to participate today, yeah. because I think our conversation really covers yeah all the dimensions of diversity and gender is one of them. So I'm thrilled to be here today to add to the conversation. Yeah, no, and um, and you educated us as well recently, 19 dimensions of diversity. It's incredible. There are, there, there's 19 dimensions of diversity and that is such an important point of understanding because for most organizations, they will focus on race and ethnicity when it comes to trying to define right. diversity, equity, and inclusion, but there's so many other perspectives and communities that can certainly be elevated if one is aware of that. So absolutely right. I'm thrilled to be here today. And even that opening comment about the dimensions of diversity is really important. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Hannah, welcome. Thank you, Sarah. Um, it's a privilege to be part of this panel. Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, thank you. Of course. Um, everyone, my name is Hannah Weinman. And when I think back about what brought me into diversity, equity, and inclusion spaces, I really think back to my own education. Um, growing up in school, I was never a math kid. I was never a reading kid. I didn't have a subject. But what I did like was building relationships with people. And I loved that about school. But I remember my high school history teacher, I was sitting in class when we first discussed um, that race was a social construction. And for me to learn as someone who identifies as white, didn't, because of my upbringing, didn't have to think very much about race until then. That was the first time I sat in class and I was like, wow, this is learning. Like I had that experience where I was really excited when I had the opportunity to go to undergraduate and pursue a degree where I was going to have autonomy and choice in what I was going to study. So I went to the University of Colorado at Boulder and I studied sociology. I had a lot of people say to me, what are you going to do with a sociology degree? And to that, I said, I don't know, but I know it's going to make yeah. me a better person and it's going to make me a better, criti yeah. better critical thinker. And from there, I'll figure it out. Because for a while, I thought to be involved in DEI spaces, you had to be in the advocacy space because I didn't have the language that's so much, so much more accessible these days, especially in the last two years, to know that there are so many other pathways in and other ways to touch DEI work. So when I was at the University of Colorado Boulder, I started with the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Community Engagement. And that's when I was introduced to the whole world of strategy and ops and logistics that goes behind operationalizing DEI. And that's where I found my sweet spot. I graduated. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Please oh, no. finish your no, thought. I, thank you. I, I graduated in um, May of 2020 in a time when international discussion was entirely centralized on diversity, equity, and inclusion work because of the world events. And even though I was really, really young in my career, I was just graduated, I did have three and a half years of operationalizing DEI strategy experience and so found myself in a role that I was able to support a company um, in building the DEI roadmap because they didn't have any um, formal plans or, or structure in place. And so now I work as the social responsibility specialist for Altera Mountain Company, which is this beautiful blend of my personal passion for the outdoors and the ski industry, yeah. but also for my, my professional passion and, and superpowers and skill set, where I get to provide access to people who have been historically denied access to the ski industry. And it's just a, yeah. a privilege to do this work. And I, and I love the parallel between your role um, and, and, and mission and what you and your company are doing and, and with, you know, Greg as well, 
right? Totally. Like it's, yeah, like, so many it's, it's got that external and internal focus of, you know, how do we welcome all diverse individuals, you know, to the ski slopes, you know, to, you know, to the tourist experience. And I love that parallel. Love Thank it. you. Um, so Camille, welcome. Thank Tell you so your- much, Sarah. Tell us about your journey here. Absolutely. So uh, thank you again for having me on. I have been a proud ambassador of new and now next up for several years. Um, So I've been a beneficiary (laughs) of radio shows like these before, and I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, My name is Camille Golub. I am a diversity and inclusion lead for a segment of SAP that totals about 10,000 people. Um, And my journey here has been quite long and quite personal. Um, I really, I guess, got my first notions um, of the topics at hand, diversity and language, really from my parents and in wildly different ways. Um, My father is a terrible parent. He is verbally abusive. He is emotionally abusive. And I Mm -hmm. learned very quickly that you don't have to hit somebody to hurt somebody. Um, And very, very quickly, the effects that not just language can have, but truly repeated use of language can have on an environment and on the development of the Yeah. I've, I've been really, you know, privileged to have been able to work through a lot of the results of that. Um, but truly, language has been a powerful tool in that as well, right? Talk therapy, um, DBT has been a huge factor in me, um, you know, kind of regaining my own agency. Um, and then my mother, in a, in a more powerful, uh, a more positive way, certainly um, introduced me to certainly the opposite of that. You know, I'm, I'm lucky to have a very caring mom. Um, but I am also very lucky to be Puerto Rican on my mom's side. So I have been introduced to that wonderful and delicious and amazing culture um, from birth. And I love that every day. But, you know, so I, you know, I'm bilingual. Um, I've grown up hearing, you know, a different language. I've grown up, mm-hmm. you know, bringing orange rice to school and being questioned about that. <laughs> um, But uh, yeah, so I mean, truly, truly um, really gave me some some strong ideas at an early age about how people should be treated Um, and coming into SAP. Thank you. Thank you. It's very strange to talk about it, you know, after having done some work and some healing, because I tend to be pretty positive and people are like, oh, my God. But, um, you know, again, just a, a use of language for sure. Um, so SAP has been amazing in allowing me to grow personally and professionally into the diversity space. Um, I've been involved with our product side for like eight years and very recently, I guess like 2019 realized that, you know, while not being very emotionally invested in my work was cool in the way that it let me be emotionally invested in other things, Mm -hmm. especially, you know, come pandemic, come 2020, you know, it was wearing on me to not have that passion for my work. And um, outside of work, you know, I'm very involved in um, in activism and anti-racist causes in Pittsburgh. And to be able to bring that passion to my actual job is literally a dream come true. So I, you know, I love that I get to use my knowledge about diversity. I love that I get to use my compassion for people. And I love that I get to use language in many, many different ways in my job now. Yeah. It's your personal calling. It's my calling. It's your personal why. Absolutely. Um, so, so Greg, let's unpack this concept of liquidity of language, complete credit to you um, on allowing us to, to share that today. What do you mean by that? And, and how, you know, how does it apply to you? Like, personally? Well, you know, the phrase liquidity of language is to realize that, especially in the space of diversity, equity, and inclusion, it continues to evolve. And that evolution of language is really aligned with, well, what is the purpose of language anyway? And I really like to unpack it to say, you know, what we are ultimately trying to do is to find a means in order to communicate against individuals and others. Um, We really want to also use that language as a way to express our thoughts and our feelings. And I think most importantly, it serves as a bridge. It serves as a bridge to build relationships, creating and maintaining all sorts of act, uh, actual ways of cutting across the various differences that we have. 
But what's important about that is to realize that words change. You know, as you did through the intro, you helped us understand words that you certainly use today. Words that were okay before are words that are not okay today. And I think as we engage in the language of diversity, I think the audience should really approach it from the perspective and realize that there's not one size that fits all. And Mm -hmm. you may use a word today, but you may be mindful that it's quite different. Or, in fact, that that word may mean different things to others. And to be mindful of that and to be as sensitive and as aware of the liquidity of language and how it changes allows us to be more effective in how we use language as a way to communicate. And and share with everybody, because this was so insightful to me, and I didn't appreciate this, that how you choose to identify personally, right? Like. I loved, I loved that lesson. That was a key lesson to me. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, when the language of diversity uh, is one of the presentations that we conduct, uh, it was one that we felt that we needed to engage in because for a number of more rural communities, they began to embrace more diverse uh, guests to visit. And a number of those locations have opted to go for people of color and specifically people from the Black or African-American community. So we were in a general session, and I have to say that the woman who asked the question was so incredibly brave. Uh, It was about 450 people. Of that, I was the only person who was Black. And she stood up and she asked the question. She said, listen, is it Black or is it African-American? And, you know, I explained to her, I said, first off, I compliment you on having the ability to ask because that's amongst some of the basic uh, language uh, steps that you should um, use. But my response to her was, you know, I can be Black on Monday, I can be African-American on Friday, and I can be Negro on Wednesday. And I say that because so often uh, it's not one word that fits us. We're not a monolith. You know, there are different ways of how we choose to identify ourselves. Mm -hmm. Some of it might be by our generation. Some of it might be by um, who we are more connected to. You know, the idea that a person of color and you may even want to choose Black or African-American may not be appropriate because they may be from the Caribbean. So the understanding of that, no, people are not a monolith. There are ways that you have to Mm -hmm. maybe provide yourself some insight as to who they are to be even that much more aware of how to appropriately engage in them in language. But for me, that's one of the most striking ones. So today is Friday, so I feel pretty African-American today. Okay. (laughs) All right. But but so in that situation, though, it's it's and, and I know this could make people uncomfortable or it feels awkward, but it's asking just politely yeah. asking in the context. Right. right. And, you know, asking is so important because, you know, I think it's also um, really important that we kind of put it out there as we begin this conversation that language is not about being politically correct. It's really about the ability to treat people with dignity and respect. And yeah. if you launch in that yeah. perspective, then there is some honest um unawareness that you may have and asking the question, quite honestly, is the most appropriate thing that you could do. Now, let's be clear. It's not like every time you encounter someone that you would say to them, how should I call you today? I mean, you kind of evolve in that as you go along. But I will say that amongst some of the best ways to kind of navigate that is to always keep in mind that it's focused on the person. Mm -hmm. You know, just because I'm Black or just because I'm Hispanic or Asian, you don't have to engage in trying to identify me by what you perceive me to be. You do know that my name is John. And to that degree, if I introduce you, uh, if I introduce myself to you as John, then I'm actually helping you understand how you should engage with me. Now, if I walked into the room and I said, I'm an African-American called Greg, well, maybe you have a better clue there. But um, 99.9% of the times when I introduce myself, I say Greg. And I think that's really key. And it and, and to that degree, you're not pressured to feel as though that you need to ask, because if you've interacted with Greg and you're building a, re- a relationship with Greg, and if we go back to that whole idea of why are we engaging with individual by the use of language, you'll begin to get the insight mm-hmm. of how Greg would want mm-hmm. to be identified. 
as I've said, Monday, I'm black, Friday, I'm African-American. Yeah. So it's not hard to figure out. When I see Greg on Friday, I can probably say uh, Greg is my African-American friend. But mm-hmm. it's just using some clear understanding of the use of language and some of the basic steps around inclusive language in order to um, kind of navigate that space while it continues to evolve. Yeah, I, I see both Camille and, and, and Hannah nodding <laughs> and, and absolute agreement. Camille, your thoughts on this? Absolutely. Um, I love the point about, you know, it being contextual, right? You know, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm a bisexual woman. And in a lot of the circles that I run in, the word queer is thrown around in really, you know, positive and kind of affectionate ways. But right. I would headbutt someone in the face if they... Mm dared to say that to me, you know, on the street, someone who doesn't know me. Um, I've had some of these conversations before, specifically in, you know, like anti-racism education, um, you know, seminars and things like that. And it's, you know, we get asked, you know, all kinds of questions, who can say what, and especially in that circle, right, there's a word that comes up a lot, and we get asked this question. And my first question is, why do you want to say that? what do you get out of using a particular word that someone may not want you to use, right? Like, why do you feel the need to challenge right. this? But then I also sometimes explain it in the way that, you know, if you have a sibling, right, you might end up beating up on them a little bit and, you know, having that sibling rivalry. But ideally, right, you protect that sibling if somebody else, if an outsider were to come in. So it's very much contextual of who has this understanding of you, Right. And who are you mm-hmm. to this person? Right. So, you know, if somebody wants to, you know, call me queer, right, it very much depends on our mm-hmm. personal history and what they know of me. So I love that point of the context because you have to take language into context. It's not just right. A word standing in on its own. And, and sadly, with with that word, the the historical you know, emotion behind it was negative, right? It was derogatory. It was bigoted, yet it it is a positive term that many use. But to your point, you you, you don't know. You don't know where that emotion's coming from when somebody does use it. Exactly. And for people to, you know, to assume that they can use a word that is clearly so charged, you know, it really speaks to, you know, not having any idea of that history and not having, you know, enough yeah. empathy to realize yeah. what you could do with that. Yeah, absolutely. Hannah, I also, th- I also yeah. think the the context piece in which there's so many components to language beyond just the words that we're using. You think mm-hmm. about the tone and the delivery of the message that you're saying. And I even think, you know, the, the lived experience and the context in which we change every day can influence the way that we receive a message. So for example, like, you know, if I've had a great day and I, I have someone be kind of stern with me or I have a poor mm-hmm. customer experience interaction, I might take that as just, mm, that was kind of weird. That person had a bad day and it bounced off and it doesn't bother me. But if I yeah. come into that, I've had a rough day. I have personal things going on. Work was really hard. Suddenly that can, that can strike a chord in me. And I think it's important yeah. even... Yeah the same message to one person versus someone else with a different lived experience can entirely change based off the context of who that person is. Absolutely. Uh, But you know what, Sarah, one thing I would just add to kind of add a little more context to what Camille had said, you know, as business professionals or as individuals that are engaged with clients Mm -hmm. or senior leadership, the reality of it is that language is not spontaneous. In most cases, you have a sense of your audience, your clients. So there is a little bit of homework that you probably need to do. There's some due Mm -hmm. diligence. And the reality of it is, is that, you know, certain words, as we pointed out, mean certain things. So, you know, going back to the word queer. So, if it's a younger, a Gen Y or Gen Z, they might be a little bit more receptive than a boomer who certainly experienced that word from a very negative perspective. Right. Right. But, But realizing that as professionals, this conversation of language should really help us in our business settings or as leaders, how we can lead more effectively by not just thinking of it in context, but taking into account of the engagement of these individuals. And we should do some of our homework. We didn't just walk, the person just didn't walk in the door. Now we're like going to figure out how to talk to them. We probably had some idea of who they were. And a lot of the insights that we're sharing today are part of what would be the good due diligence in preparation for customers, clients, leadership roles. 
I, Absolutely. And I so agree, right? Because that, you know, I didn't know. It, no. That Sorry. Is, that I just, I, I, yeah, I cut you no slack on that, yeah. right? There's and I this, think, right? There's this totally. thing called Google. Right. <laughs> and yeah. I think in, in diversity, equity, inclusion spaces, we often talk about the intent versus impact. That's a, a, a concept that comes up in a lot of spaces. And again, the intention of someone using a word that they may think is right because they heard it somewhere else, their intention, and, and most of the times I think we can assume there was never, or there isn't mostly intention for harm or people don't intend to make you feel bad, but the impact is what's important regardless of your intent. And so I think to the extent possible that when we're saying things and in our delivery of messages, we can be mindful of and, and forethinking on how might this make this particular yeah. person feel yeah. and that mm -hmm. extra level of awareness on the impact of your words, regardless of your intent, mm -hmm. I think is really important. And that takes you to, you know, yeah. EI 201, 301. That's yeah. But, <laughs> but, but, yeah, but that's where, and, and we've like shared this countless times in so many other conversations. One, you know, we all own, like we have responsibility for educating right. ourselves, right? right? And so, you know, that way we can avoid potentially to your point, mm -hmm. you know, Hannah, negatively mm -hmm. impacting somebody mm -hmm. or potentially making them feel mm -hmm. disrespected. Mm -hmm. But I loved what you suggested earlier too, Greg, which is where we can also step up and guide, mm -hmm. you know, guide, like, you know, I, I am, you know, um, like I, I was thinking about like, you know, I'm married. Am I Mrs. Michael Alter? Am I, you know, Mrs. Sarah Alter? Am I Ms. Sarah Alter? I actually prefer Ms. Sarah Alter, right? So that's like one way that I could guide mm -hmm. people to say, mm -hmm. here's how mm -hmm. I identify. Mm -hmm. And so I mm -hmm. love that, that like extending mm -hmm. yourself, mm -hmm. but then also granting grace. So when someone right. does mm -hmm. trip up, you're like, mm -hmm. all good. Let right. me educate right. you. Oh, mm -hmm. goodness. But, so, okay. But so. <laughs> and, you know, and, for, and forgive me for two seconds, Greg, because we've sure. got to take a break, but will okay. you hold that thought? <laughs> I, I will. promise you we're going to lead off with you. <laughs> so we're going to take a quick uh, sh uh, commercial break. And I want to thank everybody who's been listening in so far to our Advancing All Women radio show and podcast. You can always check us out at nextupisnow.org for more information on Next Up and all of our podcasts. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. For over 20 years, Next Up has been bringing professional women, allies, and corporate partners together to champion gender equity and advance all women in their careers. Together, we are a powerful, growing community of over 14,000 members and 300-plus regional and corporate sponsors. We work to create leadership opportunities, amplify women's voices in the workplace, and ensure that all women in business can seize opportunities in the now and in the next. Members of Next Up gain access to a broad community of like-minded professionals dedicated to women's equity and leadership development across our 21 regional communities. Get best-in-class leadership development opportunities and attend our two annual national conferences, which bring together the strongest minds in DEI and B and leadership. Join Next Up today. Visit nextupisnow.org slash membership to learn more about becoming a member. That's nextupisnow.org slash membership. Our thoughts and feelings not only affect our own lives, but the lives of everyone around us. Find new meanings of love, authentic expressions, and better connections with the people in your life. Tune in to Love Light with Dr. Jean Marie Farish. This program will feature guests and discuss ideas that will bring a better life to you. When you find this perspective on love, it will change everything. Listen live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. There are lots of unanswered questions about life's problems, and this is especially true about spiritual life. Why can't we see God? Why is there evil in this world? Why does God let bad things happen to us and to others? Can we get divine help? Join Carl Mollison and co-host Brian Kelly for Get Wisdom. They have new answers from the Almighty you need to hear. And listening could definitely change your life. 
Tune in every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Advancing All Women with host Sarah Alter. Want to learn more about the show and about Next Up? Visit our website at nextupisnow.org. That's nextupisnow.org. Now, back to Advancing All Women. Um, Well, welcome back, everybody. You are listening to Sarah Alter in the Advancing All Women radio show and podcast. And I am joined today by Camille Galeb, Diversity and Inclusion Lead, Customer Solutions Support and Innovation at SAP, one of our amazing partners. Um, Gregory DeShields, Executive Director, Tourism Diversity Matters. And last but not least, Hannah Weinman, Social Responsibility Specialist at Altera Mountain Company. And in today's show, we're discussing the language of diversity, what to say and what not to say. All right. So um, just as we closed out on our break, Greg, I promised I would lead off with you. Um, You had shared you've got five phases or five stages. Let's talk through that, set the context for that and how we think that can help everybody. Sure. So there are five steps to inclusive language. And I think the point that I wanted to capture uh, as we exited out of the last segment, which is where I lead off in talking about the five steps, is that as we approach conversations and the idea of intent is to also take into account our own unconscious biases, because so Mm -hmm. often those Mm -hmm. remarks and those statements Mm -hmm. that we have are based upon our unconscious biases. So I would certainly say as a takeaway uh, to be much more aware of your unconscious bias and how it impacts your language of diversity is that as an individual, you should have uh, uh, unconscious bias assessment done. Uh, There's an implicit bias uh, test that you can take um, from Harvard, which is a fantastic way for you to become consciously aware of your perspective of things, because so often the unconscious bias is what's driving what you verbally say, even though that was not your intent, but your unconscious bias is driving you in that way. And I would say, as it relates to the five steps, that first one is to take into account that you do have unconscious biases that are impacting Mm -hmm. what you say. Mm -hmm. Do everything you can to become aware of what those unconscious biases are so that you have the ability to think through and make some corrections, whether it's as you are saying it before you say it, or even after you've said it, then I think the first item as it relates to inclusive language is to keep calm and just respond and make a genuine, authentic apology. And to reiterate, as Hannah said, that it's not your intent. You know, we've talked about that it has to be uh, focused on the person. And number two of that, I would say, is always focus on the person. It's not about their age, their gender, their cultural background, especially if they've identified themselves to you by their name. We've talked about context. And it is important to realize that sometimes, even through the unconscious bias that you have, that you may socially speak about a particular community one way when you're not in your professional setting. And that as you make that transition into a work environment, a boardroom, a client meeting, a pitch meeting, Mm -hmm. that that context is not at all appropriate and you have to make the conscious correction. But it is also important to realize that, yes, you can ask, not all the time, uh, but you should ask as you may not have clarity. And sometimes that is after you have really built that relationship, because perhaps that's how you'll continue to refer to it as you go forward. I think the last one is just to keep in mind, always put yourself in someone else's shoes because looking at things from their perspective, you may have a better reason to understand why the inappropriate use of language can be much more impactful than you might expect. And just always remember that words matter. Yeah, yeah. And just own it and apologize to your very point. Yeah, now, so... um, 
So what we want to do, like in this remainder of our show is we definitely want to be sharing best practices, right? Like what Greg had had just shared with all, you know, what are those action steps we can take one to educate ourselves one on, you know, and again, like I said, Google it, you know, it, it, Mm -hmm. it, it takes five seconds, you know, and if you have, if you're in doubt of, you know, what, what terms should I be using, you know, as a leader within an organization, you can create, you know, ongoing training and education, right? Um, Hannah, you t- you've talked to us about credibility. Like, mm-hmm. how do you, let's talk about credibility because as I, as I step forward and I do try to practice what we're preaching, how, how do I develop that credibility? Absolutely. I think that's a great question. And an exercise I have done that the origin of this exercise was become because I had imposter syndrome. I found myself in positions where I was making decisions on behalf of people or I had opportunities and I was like, me, why, what gives me the credibility to make this decision on behalf of others? So an exercise that I encourage all the listeners and everyone to start engaging in is this exercise that's lifelong called building your inventory of lived experience. So we're one people or we're one person who has had one lived experience with a singular upbringing. And we're very fortunate for that. But also in positions of privilege, when you have opportunities to make decisions on behalf of people, who would we to think that our one lived experience can make the best decision on behalf of other people? And so my tendency in conversations, and this is pushing me outside of my comfort zone, but is to be the type of active listener to really sit back and engage actively and listen to people as they share their stories, because it's such a gift to listen and to learn to people sharing their lived experiences. So Camille and Greg, thank you for sharing your stories. And again, I'm, I'm filing these away because this inventory, <laughs> yeah. like I call it, is in every interaction we have, we're learning a little sliver more into someone else's lived experience. Yeah. And to the extent yeah. that you can literally file it in your brain and then use the hundreds and thousands of interactions that you have with people to frame conversations or to frame decision-making moving forward, that helps build your credibility in this work because you're you're not making decisions on behalf of what you think is best as one individual, one person with lived experience, but you've done the work to engage with multiple stakeholders and people across lines of difference in different cultures to build that inventory so you can make the most educated, the most holistic decision on behalf of others. So that's an exercise I'm always doing. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity when people are willing to listen and to learn. It takes trust and it takes time for people to get there. And we can't expect people to just deep dive into their stories right away. But to the extent that you can engage with people and file their their learnings and their lessons away, it's it's just such a gift that I've um, definitely tried to embrace. Yeah, it's it's like I keep thinking, walk in their shoes, mm-hmm. right? Walk right, in their and shoes. I'll never be able to walk in someone else's life because we can't body hop. But I can imagine and and have empathy and listen very intently and and ask questions about what is it like for you? Again, contextually, it might be different for me, but I can appreciate and try and understand how your lived experience and context might have a different lens of the world. So, So Camille, with an SAP, uh, under your leadership, how are you you helping this incredible organization and all of its great you know employees navigate this this language of diversity? What are some of the best practices that you do? Sure. Um, I mean, I think the the single most powerful thing anybody in whether it's like a corporate diversity and inclusion space or in a diverse space in their life or even in a non-diverse space in their life, the most important thing that you can do as somebody who purports to be an advocate of the values that this work implies is to be consistent, be an ally in your personal life, be an ally in your professional life. Greg made a great point that, you know, Context is everything, right? I can say things, you know, out in my, you know, my work, like out on the street that I can never say, you know, in my office, although wonderfully that has been changing, right? Things I never thought I'd be able to talk about at work, you know, words like intersectionality, words like microaggressions, words like, you know, I mean, even anti-racism to be able to say that at work is Mm -hmm. wonderful. It's a wonderful feeling to it's a whole um, different world. It's right? a whole like, different world, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah it, it truly is. And it, you know, 
allowing that kind of conversation in an office brings humanity to the office. Um, so I would say, yeah, one, keep yourself consistent, right? I, to Hannah's point, I lose my credibility if I walk out of here and, you know, start, I don't know, you know, making fun of someone's name or something like that, or, you know, doing something that is, you know, in, in contrary to these values, right? If, yeah. if I'm about this, I'm about this, right? right. And I have right. to be about it all the time. Um, yeah. You know, so, so to that point, you know, someone also mentioned, I, I think it was Greg, right? Apologizing when you're wrong. And I think the biggest thing, the biggest barrier to really breaking through this kind of like wall that people feel to, you know, to being a more inclusive person is self-reflection and being able to admit that, you know, you've said something um, maybe unintentionally that had a bad impact on somebody else, you know, and as, you know, as a white woman, especially working in anti-racist spaces where it's led, you know, entirely by people of color as it should be, you know, I, and as a very, you know, verbal individual (laughs) have had to learn to, you know, to realize, you know, what my place is in certain spaces and to, you know, to really internalize this thing that, you know, we think of racists and homophobes and things like that as things that people are and not so much as descriptors of actions that even we can take. Right. So, you know, getting away from that defensiveness of that cell, you know, of, of that centering of self that people of privilege often engage in, in these circles and realizing that, you know, your uncomfortability one pales in comparison to whatever that other person is experiencing. Mm -hmm. And then two is your payment to the movement, right? You know, we, we work through this to make a better world, right? I can, you know, hold much better and much more credible influence at my job if I learn to, you know, take constructive criticism and and improve myself outside of my job. Um, So, yeah. So, you know, things like that, improving, you talked uh, in the beginning of the show um, about some words that mean different things, taking ableism out of your language. Um, You know, as a, as a person who deals with mental illness, I've learned to stop calling things crazy Mm-hmm. Um, right. you know, I, I say right. wild instead, or, you know, something like that, but mm-hmm. deciding to use your language as a tool to accomplish a goal and deciding to use your existence as a tool to accomplish a goal, right? I am going to invite inclusion by being an inclusive person, by showing mm-hmm. people that this isn't a job to me. This is truly, truly my mm-hmm. entire way of being. Now, and it's, Again, it just, it all stems back to, to education and, and Greg, we're going to make sure to put a link for that Harvard assessment mm-hmm. that you referenced, like mm-hmm. where people can go take it because it helps you identify the, 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 the inherent bias that's within you mm-hmm. <laughs> and we all have it. And sometimes, you know, we do a better job holding it back. Sometimes we've absolutely gotten rid of it and sometimes new biases, you know, unfold as well. And so it, it, it starts there. And then just being able to, you know, literally like in our group next up, you know, once a month, um, two of our leaders educate us on a new topic, hmm. you know, and we just pull forward something on, you know, uh, you know, the, the history of discrimination in one community, um, you know, the evolution within a community, even terminology, mm-hmm. um, you know, there are things you can do. You can, you can consciously help to try to educate yourself. And that's where I'm like, there's no excuse. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I also, it, it kind of gets back to what you said too, Hannah, which is like, if in your mind you're thinking, mm, should I say this or should I not say this? Don't say it. <laughs> totally. Right. <laughs> right. You know, typically <laughs> when in doubt, 
there's other language yeah. that you can use. Right, right. 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 And so right. think before you speak. Right. That's what my mom right. used to say too. You know? Because you're like, yeah, right. no, you shouldn't say it. <laughs> but you know, um, one thing I would say, Sarah, that's really important is when you look at language of diversity, it is supporting what should be a strategic uh, business priority of DEI in an organization. So the reality of it is a lot of organizations will embark upon a DEI strategy and language is not embedded in that at all. And the reality of it is it, the language part has to be strategically woven into what the goals and measurements are. And if, in fact, it is about educating, let's find out what kind of language we should be educating people and let's nice. hold ourselves accountable for it. But I can't emphasize enough that if you have a DEI strategy and language is not embedded in that as a part of the strategy, then the likelihood of that being a success is going to be extremely limited because you're not really building a priority around how you even communicate from a DEI perspective. Absolutely. And, and and as we all know, communication is so key to any productive relationship. And so to your point of, I don't know what to say, then I won't say anything. Mm-hmm. And then there isn't any communication, right? You know, mm-hmm. and certainly better saying nothing than saying something that offends. But to your point, it's that's where we need to equip everyone. And Greg, you mentioned that 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 like that's one of the classes you provide right? Like you provide a language of diversity class through your phenomenal organization. We do. And, you know, Tourism Diversity Matters on a national level serves as a singular organization in the tourism industry that focuses on DEI 24-7, 365 days a year. And we engage with a number of tourism leaders who are looking at their DEI strategy in their organization to find the best way to optimize the impact, realizing Mm -hmm. it's part of their journey, it's in their DNA, but what are the gaps that we need to fill? And the language of diversity has certainly risen in the last two and a half years. And both Camille and Hannah has certainly raised a lot of the reasons from a social perspective why language has to be embedded in the discussion of strategy. And when we had produced our first session, Language of Diversity, which was a breakout at three o'clock in the afternoon, and we thought no one was going to be there, by the way, in Nebraska, we had about 60 people who were in there. And they had every question like, explain the pronouns. Do I say black and right? Or can I say anti? I mean, so, but that is so important because there are so many organizations that are committed to DEI, but they don't even know how to express it through language, Mm -hmm. which is why this has become a really integral part in successful DNI strategy. Uh, And that session has proven to be quite popular. I mean, we have well over 250 words in the library that we recommend, but you'd be surprised how scared people are of words Mm -hmm. like cisgendered or ethnic or race. I mean, you know, these are words that should not scare you, (laughs) but, you know, (laughs) Uh, Camille, we put them in an 82 font, white letters on a black background. Background and we ask people to define it and they automatically lose their wow. mind because they <laughs> use it in their personal context and probably don't really know the true definition of it. But that's amongst the ways psychologically you get people to understand and be comfortable with words. All right. Will you kindly share that list with our Absolutely. audience? Okay. Awesome. I look We're forward be to posting that. that <laughs> right? Yeah. I don't think I would be able to keep it together watching a room full of people be faced with. (laughs) (laughs) I know, but it, it, but it was like, who who was it that mentioned cisgender in our press session that most people don't know what that means. Right. Mm -hmm. But they'll associate it with the context of where they heard it. So let's just say they don't know what it means, but they said, well, it must be a gay word. And to that degree, please don't use that word with me when it's not a gay word. So, no, no. And and Greg, you also shared and share this with the audience, transgender versus transgendered. Exactly. What is the difference? Because I honestly, and I learned from everyone, to your point, Hannah, I learned from everybody I meet and I get to meet the most mm-hmm. incredible people. Tell the audience the difference between that, because I don't think most people know that. So the the phrase is typically used in in the inappropriate way when it's talking about this transition a person has made. But once they have identified who they are and they identify as that person, that's how you identify them. So it's been a, a, a use of the word that talks about the transition as opposed to the identity of which that person has. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And I think something as people who are champions and part of the 
evolution of language because we're not linguists. There's no way we can always know every iteration of how language evolves. But as people who are committed to to learning and to educating ourselves, something else that um, I think is important for us is when we hear people, like Camille, you made the point of, oh, that's so crazy. When we hear people use language that, that we shouldn't use anymore, that it, when we consider the context or we consider the history and the origin, um, we want to remove it from our vocabulary. An exercise I've done is just saying, what do you mean by that? And kind of like play, playing dumb a little bit and asking someone to explain themselves what they actually mean. So when someone that's says, good response. you know, that's so gay when they meant that's so stupid or that's so something, I ask, what do you mean by that? And suddenly they're kind of caught with their foot in their mouth in the situation of, oh, 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 that wasn't my intent. That's not what I meant. And that like kind of gut feeling that doesn't feel so good is enough for most people I've found to not make that mistake again. And it's a way that you don't have to be scary. You don't have to be mean at calling someone out, but really calling them in to come and understand and and come to that conclusion on their own. Yeah. 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 I I love that so much. Um, I, that's one thing that we have used in workshops previously and uh, something that connects to something that Greg said, you know, language is the foundation of everything. We often teach mm-hmm. um, this like pyramid of diversity where if someone is saying, oh, well, it was just a joke or it was just right. a blah, blah, blah. It's not that serious. We show this visual of a pyramid where things like jokes and stuff like that are the bottom. Yeah. But it builds up. And especially when we're talking about, you know, let's say like gender, right? Jokes about women, blah, 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 being bad drivers or whatever. You know, if you go up the pyramid just a little bit, you get to things like domestic violence. You get to Mm -hmm. things like insane, you know, misogyny. And at the top, someone dies. Like, you cannot discount language as the biggest brick at that pyramid. Yeah, no, it, 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 um, Absolutely. Oh, all right. So sadly, we must we must end. This time always flies. On a bright note. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but we we oh gosh, so check check out the posting because there are gonna be a whole bunch of gifts from our guests today. They're gonna share a whole bunch of tools and, and tips for everybody. Um thank you all. Camille, um, Greg, Hannah, you were amazing. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your perspectives and and your stories and all your great best best practices. Thank you, Voice America, for always giving me and and next up the opportunity to share our voice and our mission with all of you. And thank you to our audience. You are incredibly um, loyal to us, and we love that you come back each and every week. And welcome to any new listeners, too. So next week, um, we're going to be discussing caretaking for elderly parents with Alzheimer's and dementia. And when as adult children, as leaders, we have to step up to be the parents of our own parents. And how do we navigate that journey? And how can our, our, our bosses and companies and organizations help us from a professional perspective? To learn more about Next Up and to listen to all of our radio shows and podcasts, check us out at nextupisnow.org. I'm Sarah Alter, and thank you for always listening. Thanks for listening to Advancing All Women with host Sarah Alter. Be sure to tune in again next week. Our program is live every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment or catch our replays weekly on Voice America Influencers. Until we talk again, enjoy your week.